Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing? If you can open up your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, I'd appreciate that. We're in our series called Acceptable Sins, and I want to tell you, start with the story from 1934. What was happening in Germany uh, was Hitler and his SS troops had just killed over 200 people who they considered to be rivals to the Nazi party. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor back then uh, in Germany, got up in front of his congregation the following Sunday, and he preached the message from Luke chapter 13, verse 1 through 5, where he says, do not judge, but repent. And it was challenging, but confusing to the congregation, do not judge, but repent. And the point of the message was, was this. It's easy for us to identify the blatant sins of other people when God perhaps is calling us to confess the sins that we hidden in the own crevices of our own lives, right? And that's the premise of our series that we're in, Acceptable Sins in Our World. Uh, to, so today our sin is an anxiety. And even as I say that, it probably makes some of you kind of anxious, right? Even to say that. So let's define the term so we're on the same page with the term. Right now, the best guess that we have is there are between 25 to 40 million people that are living in the United States that are experiencing some levels of anxiety disorder. Uh, and there might be some of you that are struggling with what they call the post-traumatic stress syndrome or, or anxiety or panic attacks or something like that. There are all causes for, there's many different causes for those kind of things, but some of them may be from events, physiological responses to trauma and pain. But when Jesus uses that word anxious, He's using it with a much more narrow focus, much more narrow focus. We've taken that word anxious today to, to be kind of an umbrella to cover all kinds of different things. But one of the causes for the narrow use that Jesus has given when he's talking is basically he's talking about the fear of the future, the fear. It's a spiritual problem, so, and it's a sin. It's a sin because we don't know the future, and therefore we have one or two responses. We either trust God or we worry, right? We trust God, or we worry. And Jesus is saying to us, don't be anxious, or, or, or this narrow sense, better translated probably is, don't worry, don't worry. One of the things that I found out over the years uh, that's common to all of us, that we all tend to worry, right? We all tend to be worriers, all of us. And if I could ask you a question, if we could be kind of transparent this morning with each, each of us. In the last two weeks, have you caught yourself, it, it could be something relational, it could be something legal. It could be something physical. It could be about an employment. It could be about something the unknown. Have you caught yourself worrying? Is anybody willing to admit that? Worry. We, we all do. So, so if we're honest with ourselves, it's a sin that we all do, right? It's a sin that we all do, right? Some of you don't want to admit, but it's a sin that we all do. We made it acceptable, but it isn't. Because Jesus said, don't worry. He tells us, don't worry. Immediately we look at this and say, what do you mean? What do you mean you say that? We can't command an emotion, right? We can't say you can't do that. How can you say be happy and don't worry? But that's what Jesus says. That's what he tells us. But how? How is that possible to do that? We live in such a world where we oftentimes don't say, I think or I believe. But what we do say, we say rather, I feel. I feel this or I feel that, right? That's how people talk. When you listen to people, they use the word feel all the time. Well, I feel, I feel. And when Jesus talks to us in the Word, He is presenting truth that should always trump emotion. No pun intended, no pun intended, but it should always trump emotion. So I'm going to share some truth in what Jesus, this morning, 
And, and when we know the truth, when we understand the truth and the knowledge of the truth and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot worry. We should not worry then when we understand this. Jesus says we love our enemies. You say, how can you do that? Isn't love just an emotion? Either you have it or you don't, right? That's what we think. But Jesus commanded it, and therefore it must be possible to do it to our enemies. But it's truth that has to trump emotion. It always has to. If we're looking to go by our feelings, we're always going to feel that way. But we got to allow truth, this, to trump emotion. Amen? Can I get amen? Amen, right? This has to trump emotion. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully you have them there. To me, this is the most beautiful sermon ever to be given in all the world of all time. This sermon right here is the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And Jesus preached it early on in his ministry. He was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful setting. Uh, you can imagine down a steep hill with the, with the sea over there. And this is the setting of the classroom where Jesus was there. He had some of his disciples there, had some followers there, had some people that were following him but were not yet disciples yet. And then probably had some religious leaders, maybe some Pharisees, some scribes there. And to me, the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is understand what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. You can look at that where Jesus says this. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And can you imagine the Pharisees and those religious leaders there? So what more do you want? What more do you want for us to do to go to heaven? Uh, when, you, when the law requires us to fax X number of days and we double it, when the law requires us that we give this much of our tithe and we triple it, when the law requires that we, we pray this amount of time, we do more than that, what more can we do? What more do you want us to do? And it was all a theatrical performance for them. That's what it was for everybody to see it. And Jesus said, no, it's not more what you can do but it's what I'm going to do. He, he raised the bar. It's not your righteousness that's going to get you into heaven. He said it was his righteousness. It's Jesus' righteousness that's going to get us into heaven, right? And basically what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, you have these kingdom truths, are these truths in heaven that need to be applied here on earth. When they're applied here on earth, in our own lives, it should change the way that we live in this world from the standards of this world, right? We should live differently than the world is what he's saying when we look at this. And that's what he was saying there in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 6, if you have your outlines, Jesus is going to give us three directives, three directives for resisting anxiety. And the first one is very important, is trust the Father. We must trust the Father. And what I want to do today is I want to read a couple of verses then give some explanation and then continue on reading the passage so we get the full meaning of what Jesus is trying to say in this passage. So let's start he says, trust the Father, and let's read verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or, sh or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you not, not, much, aren't you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus from the negative point of view, says don't be anxious or don't worry is what he says. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. And therefore, expectations are real, that are realistic to God the Father, that you and I would do this and not worry is what he's saying. He's going to ask some questions here in this passage, and then he's going to call some witnesses, and he asks the question, aren't you more valuable than they are? Who? 
birds he's talking about, right? His first witness is from ornithology, uh, the study of birds. And he says, look at the birds. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not store in barns. But your heavenly Father cares for them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. The key word in that verse is heavenly Father, that he cares and watches over birds is what it says there, right? Some of you live way out in the, out in the country there, in the, in the country roads where there's not a lot of traffic on those roads that you live on. And on the side of those roads might be trees or might be open fields and stuff. But at nighttime, those critters come out around those roads, right? And you have the raccoons, the possums, the coyotes, the fox, the deer, whatever other critters there might be. And sometimes cars come down those roads and they hit those animals and they become carcasses, right? And for some birds, this is like an all-you-can-eat buffet for some of those birds, right? They come out there and they eat them and they get all their fill they can. But for some other birds, like hummingbirds and sparrows, they're not drawn to those carcasses. So some of you, what you do, you put out a hummingbird feeder in your backyard, right? You put a hummingbird feeder, and it's so beautiful to watch those hummingbirds come to that feeder with all their different colors. They're do, moving their wings so rapidly, like in one place, and, and, and you watch them feed. Or some of you might have a bird feeder where you put bird seed in there and you feed them. God has fields with plants and grasses that, that have seeds that feeds the birds. In the wild, God takes care of the birds. But he has diff many different methods to take care of the birds. Not only in the wild, but he has you and I to take care of them, right? And Jesus is asking the question, aren't you more valuable than a bird? It's meant to be rhetorical is what he's asking. All of us are more valuable than a bird because we're made in the image of God, right? And our value can never be measured by dollars and cents or the chemical value of our body. Our lives are measured by the blood of Jesus. That's what it's measured by. Not only are we made in the image of God, but God said, I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, to take care of your sins, because you're so valuable to me, because you mean so much. And I want to spend an eternity in heaven with each one of you, not willing that any should perish, but everyone to come into faith in Jesus Christ, because I value you so much. You're so important to me, is what God says. And I know you heard me say this before over the years, I, I've been saying this, but this is truth. Maybe you're down here yourself, or maybe you kind of have a low self-image. All I'm saying, your self-image has to be based on who you are. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. And you have extreme, extreme value to God. And God is going to take care of you because he takes care of birds. That's what it says. He takes care of birds. And I take care of birds, won't I take care of you? God always provides. We don't know how, but God always provides. And our Heavenly Father takes care of birds, so we know that he's going to take care of us because we're more valuable than birds, right? He takes care of us. And notice in verse 27, he goes on and he says, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We're talking about food, water, water and clothing, the very essentials for life. And Jesus said, uh, said about those things, Don't worry. If I take care of birds, I'll take care of you. And then he adds the question. He adds this question, a real good question. Which of you, by worry, can add a second, a minute, an hour, a day, or a week to your lives. None of us can. Our time is in his hands. Jesus, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, had just been baptized, and he's ready to begin his ministry, and the Spirit descends him on, on, on like a dove, and then it leads him out of the city, out into the desert, where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And the evil one comes at the end of that time, and he tempts Jesus to eat. Uh, and the rocks in Israel, a lot of times, are flat rocks. It almost looks like loaf of bread. And the enemy tells Jesus, look at that rock. It looks like a loaf of bread. I'm sure you could turn that into a loaf of bread. Basically, that's what he says, me paraphrasing. 
And Jesus could have, right? He could have turned it into a loaf of bread. But yet we find there's something more important than living. And that's living for God. And yet we find there's something more important than food. And that's that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. We can't add anything to our lives by worry. We don't add anything. And so Jesus says, just stop worrying. Don't worry. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but worry is like a rocking chair. I don't know if you ever heard this. When I was younger, my parents had a big old rocking chair in their house, and you could get on there, we could rock in that chair, rock in that chair, and you never went anywhere. I mean, you could rock in the morning, get in that chair, and rock all during the morning, all during the afternoon, rock all during the night. When you look, you're at the exact same place where you started, right? You didn't advance any place. And it's just like worry. You can get up in the morning, you can start worrying about your circumstance all morning long. You can worry about it all afternoon and all evening. And if you're still worrying about that, when you get to evening time, you look and you're still at the same exact place in that circumstance. It hasn't advanced it one bit, has it? Has it moved it at all? And all you did was worry. It was really a waste of time. He goes on in verse 28 using a second witness. Now he gives us a second witness, and he says in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What he's saying, he says, if I take care of birds, and those birds don't have a name, I'm going to take care of you because you're made in my image, and my son Jesus died for you. Here you have flowers. Maybe beautiful flower farm, or it might be flowers, wildflowers you see on the side of the road or out in the field where you see them. They did nothing to get there, but they're beautiful. No one cares for them other than God. God cares for them, right? But even he reduces it. He goes from flowers to the third witness, the grass, which grows up and then dies. He said, if I take care of that, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry. Don't worry, he says. Aren't you more valuable than flowers or grass is what he's saying. So he's telling us. He sums it up in verse 31 and 32, and he says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's not condoning laziness or foolishness. He's espousing trust, that you and I would trust the Father. That's what he said, that we trust him. The word pagan here needs explanation when it says, for the pagan runs after all these things, the word pagan used in this context is not referring to anybody who's not a Jew. That's not what he's saying here. What it's referring to in this context, those were outside the family of faith at this time in Jesus' ministry. That's what he's saying. All those outside the family of faith he's referring to or are the pagans. The same meaning that Paul had when he wrote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, you who were Gentiles, who were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in, heaven, in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. Our God knows best, and he knows what he's doing, amen? He knows what he's doing. We have to trust him. He knows all your needs. Sometimes we think that God doesn't know our needs. He doesn't know what we need, but God knows everything that we need. So here, here's, what are you going to do if you have a medical condition where their doctors say it's inoperable or there is no cure. What are you going to do? Well, we pray and we trust God, right? We pray and we trust God. Listen, God always heals. Let me say that again. God always, always heals. Sometimes he heals instantly 
And that's what we usually pray for, instant healing. Sometimes he heals gradually through doctors and medicine, and sometimes he heals ultimately, where that healing takes us into his presence. But God always heals. One of the ways he always heals, we pray for each other. But ultimately, what we need to understand and believe that God is in control, right, of all things that are happening in your life, everything that happens, and that whatever you're facing, you have to trust him. You have to trust God. Whatever it is you might be facing, we've got to trust him in our circumstance because he's in control. We are not. Neither is the circumstance. God is in control. There is a couple of wonderful verses. I was going to make this a memory verse, but it's Philippians, in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, a couple of verses. If you don't know the, uh, those verses, write down the address, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious or do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A beautiful verse, a wonderful promise that God has given to us. So write down that verse, memorize those verses. David so Fox with that verse on there, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, and put that in your house where you can see it morning and daytime, where you might see it before you go to bed. So those things that keep you up at night or wake you up at night, they won't. Where you can let that truth kind of wash over you and use the, the power of those words. Where you can come before God the Father and say, Heavenly Father, you know me. You know the things that keep me up or the things that wake me up at night. Now I give them to you so I don't have to worry. And you take the truth of those verses, you let them wash that truth, wash over you, and wash away that emotion of worry. Because that's all it is. Worry is an emotion of worry, and wash that away. I mean, God's going to be up anyway all night, right? Right? He's going to be up anyway. So we might as well give it to him so we can go to sleep and not worry, right? God's going to be there. So he says, give it to me. You go to sleep. Let me take care of it. I'll handle this for you. So we just give it to him. That's what he wants us to do, to trust him, to trust him. Then he gives us the second directive, the second directive for resistant anxiety. He says to seek the kingdom, seek the kingdom. Not only do we trust the Father, but we seek the kingdom. Our memory verse, verse 33 that we look at, where it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So he says negatively here, don't worry. Then he says positively here, seek the kingdom. How do we not worry? By seeking the kingdom, he says. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what he tells us. Earlier in the passage, if you looked at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says in those verses, do not store for yourself things on earth that can rust or decay or, or be destroyed or a thief can come in and steal. What he says, don't put your emphasis and your value on things that are going to rust or someone can steal, but rather invest with you that is internal. Rather, he says, invest and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves can't come in and break in and steal because they don't have access to heaven. They're secured in heaven. They can't come in and break it. And Jesus is saying for all of us, first seek the kingdom of heaven, that which is most important, that which is eternal we're to seek. And the things that are eternal are, are God, his word, and people. People. That's what God is talking about. God, his word, and people. That's what we're supposed to invest in. God, his word, and people. So what are the things that we really want? What are the things that we're really driven to in, in, in life? Sometimes it could be our house, our cabin, our car, our truck, whatever it may be, careers, or whatever it may be. And, and they're not that they're bad, 
But the most important thing that we have in our life, the most important thing we should be seeking is God, His Word, and people. Those are eternal. Everything else is not eternal. Those are eternal. Those are the things we're to be seeking. And, and how do you know where your heart is? How do you know what you're seeking? Well, you look at your treasure. You look where your treasure goes. Kind of do an audit of your bank account and find out where your money is going, and there you're going to find where your treasure is, where all the money, that's usually where it is, where you're putting your money, where you're going to find your treasure. Is it investing in things that are eternal, or is it investing in the temporary things of this earth? That's what you have to look at. Jesus said one more thing here, the third directive for resisting anxiety, and he says this, this is really important. Focus on today, today. In verse 34, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't transfer today's energy to tomorrow's problems. Corey Tin Boone said it, be said it better. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it empties today of its strength. And it does. It does. We worry, and it gets us no place. And, and it makes us tired. It makes us tired, and we just want to rest because we're so all worn out because we worried all day. And it gets us nowhere. If you ever listen to a post-interview, a post-game interview uh, by a football coach or a quarterback or someone they're playing, they're going to be starting up in a couple weeks, and you ask them, say, hey, you got the Super Bowl chance, the Kansas City Chiefs coming in December, what are you going to do about that game? And usually the quarterback and the coach says, well, we're not focused on that game, we're focused on the next game, right? We're not focused on the future, we're focused on our next game, this Sunday, that's what they're focused on. And that's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying to us, yesterday is history, tomorrow is mystery, but today is present. Let's focus on it and, and not worry, is what he's saying. Let's focus on today and not worry. Not look tomorrow, what tomorrow may bring, but it's today. Not look at the past, but it's today, is what Jesus is saying. Look at today. That's all that matters right now, guys, is today. What are you going to do today? Not tomorrow, today. What are you going to do? Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's plenty of things to do tomorrow, but today, what are you going to do? Not all anxiety is sin. I want you to know that. Not all anxiety is sin. But there is an anxiety of sin. It's when we substitute worry for trust. Let's trust God. When we worry, we're not trusting God, are we? We're not trusting Him at all. And it all begins with you knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, He loves you so much that He doesn't want you to spend one moment of eternity apart from Him. That Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins. Uh, that's why he came. That's God's grace. That you and I are sinners by nature. We're sinners and we're separated from God. And God sent his one and only son to come. And he went to the cross and he died for your sins in your place. Paid your sin debt. And he died for all of your sins. Your past, present, and future sins. That's God's grace. God's grace that he died for us. Our response is we come to him and respond by faith. By receiving what Jesus so graciously did for us upon the cross. We come and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. And the other Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he's God, and I know that he died on the cross for my sins. He paid for my sins. And right now, I believe what Jesus did, and I trust him as my Savior. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. And if you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service, because that's the most important thing you can do is have a relationship with God through Jesus. And then he will help us not to worry about things in life. He will give us the strength and wisdom to trust him. I know some of you here today are anxious. You've got things going on in your life. And maybe the anxiety that you're dealing with 
is kind of not the narrow parameters that Jesus was talking about in this passage. But you deal with that worry each and every day, that anxiety that you're going through each and every day. And I just want to let you know, you don't have to carry it alone. You don't have to be alone as you're dealing with it. That we're here together, the elders are here, and, and many of the people in the congregation are here, and they'd like to come alongside of you and, and talk with you and pray with you if you would just let us. But you don't have to deal with it alone. You don't have to carry that all by yourself. Or whatever you may be dealing with. Might be something else if you'd like prayer. We're here to pray with you and help you whatever way that we can. But don't feel like you're all in this all by yourself. First off, we all know that God is with us wherever we go, right? You know that, so you're never alone. But sometimes we look out at the world and we think we're all by ourselves, and it's me and Jesus, and it gets kind of lonely like that. You're not. That's why we come to church. That's why we meet together, to build each other up, encourage one another, and to pray for one another. So if you have something that's going on, you say, boy, I could really use prayer. I could really use someone to talk. Please come up. I'd love to talk to you. Grail here, one of our elders would love to talk. So we could just pray with you. Or as many people in the congregation would love to help you whatever way they can. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come, and we praise you. We praise you, God, because uh, you love us so much. And Jesus, you came to this earth, took on the form of a human body, and you walked this earth, and you know what it's like to live here. The stress and all the things that happen in this world that causes us, as human beings, to worry, to have, be full of anxiety and to not trust. Lord, we see things with our eyes, and we hear things, and we start looking toward the future, and we start thinking that we have to do something about the things that's going on in our lives. But what you're telling us is for us to stop. Don't worry, but trust you. And I pray, Lord, that the truth would trump emotion in our lives today. That worry is an emotion, and the Word of God is the truth. We have to allow it to supersede everything else in our life. We have to trust you and what you say, that you will not fail us, you will not let us down, but you always help us. And this is a promise that we can live by. When Jesus says, do not worry, he's just not saying it, but he's saying it is possible. And it's not an option. It's a command that we're to trust you. And that's what we need to do. So I pray that each person here, Lord, with the parameters that Jesus was talking about, who might be worried about the future, whatever it may be, that they're going through, Lord, whatever circumstance or difficulty we might be going through, that, Lord, right now, we surrender to you. You say, God, you know me. You know the things that are troubling me. You know the things that keep me up at night that I worry about and I think about all day long. Lord, let me give it and surrender to you right now. And, Lord, that I might trust you. And knowing through the calm and through the storm, You've got my back. You're going to be with me. And I can trust you through it all. Say, Lord, you're going to help me every step of the way. Say, Lord, as we come to you this morning, we realize that you're a living hope. You're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. But you will always be there. You're eternal. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and you're gone. You're going to be there. So we can depend upon you. You're that solid rock that's always there. So, Lord, it has to penetrate in our hearts and minds. And we have to believe it. And we have to trust you. So I pray that for each person, that they'd get that emotion of worry and set it aside and say, God, I'm going to trust in your word and trust in you, which supersedes all that. Lord, we thank you so much. But Lord, I also pray for the person who, who's got an anxiety that's outside the parameters that Jesus was talking about. It's, it's because of other things that's going on in life. Lord, Lord, you would help them. 
and get the help that they need if it needs to be a physical doctor. Lord, we know that you can touch each and every one of us, and you can heal us in that instant healing. And Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus that you would do that right now in our lives. But Lord, we also pray that your will would be done. You would help us, that we draw nearer to you, that we learn all the lessons that you have for us. And one of the biggest ones that we learn to trust you. That God, you're a God who can be trusted. A God who is faithful. A God who knows all things, who's omniscient, and has all power. There's nothing you can't do. And so we come and yield our hearts and minds to you. Lord, I also want to pray for the one who may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning yet. Lord, I pray for their heart and mind, their soul right now, that you would let them understand that they're a sinner. We all are in need of a Savior. And the only Savior that you've offered, the only Savior that you've given us is your Son, Jesus Christ that they put their faith and trust in Jesus and ask him for forgiveness of sins, that the shed blood of Jesus would cover them. Lord, help, help them to come to Jesus. Lord, I ask that every one of us in this room that we come and we surrender to Jesus, and we all admit, Lord, we're all sinners, saved by your grace. We all have this tendency to worry. Lord, help us to trust you with our hearts and minds. Help us to no longer look at it and say, we all do it, so it's all right. Help us to realize it's a sin when we don't trust you. Help us to realize that, Lord. Help us to be people who walk with you and we get into your word and we trust your word and what you say. And as you said, Jesus gives us truth and it always, always trumps emotion. Help us to realize that. Help us to make that truth in our own hearts and minds. Lord, we love you. And we come to you, surrender to you. And Lord, we're never going to be able to do this or accomplish this in our life till we realize you're a God who we can trust, that you are our living and Lord, we come to you now, Jesus Christ, in bended knee and humility, with all of our concerns, with all of our worries, with all our anxieties, and we cast them at your feet in trusting you. And we ask this in that beautiful, amazing name, and the one who loves us, in the name of Jesus, amen.